0: Good morning, New Life. My name is Chris. Uh, Great to be back with you uh, today. Uh, As we get rolling here, let me just say happy Father's Day to all you uh, dads out there. What you uh, do as men really sets the tone for uh, generations to come. What you do matters, and it matters more um, than you probably will ever know. So thanks for uh, being men who uh, lead well, who love well, who serve well, Uh, God knows uh, the church and our culture at large needs more men who are leading, loving, and serving their families uh, like Jesus, amen? And so grateful for all you men who are uh, doing that well. Well, I've been eager uh, for this morning because um, today we're going to be launching into our uh, summer message series through the uh, book of Philippians, which happens to be uh, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. It's also a critically important book for us because I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not yet, but life is crazy, right? Life is crazy. It's uncertain. Uh, things can change on a dime in our lives uh, from moment to moment, from hour to hour. Even a life is full of change. Now, there are good times in this life that we experience. There are Tough times in this life that we experience. And no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, we all need an anchor that will allow us not just to survive, but to thrive in this thing that we call life. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to give us the key to doing just that in this amazing little letter to an unlikely ragtag group of believers that ended up being truly like a family to the great apostle Paul. Now, on the front end, here's here's Paul's thesis, right? Here's, Here's his key to surviving and thriving in the ups and downs and the twists and turns and the seasons of abundance as well as the seasons of suffering that inevitably all of us will experience in this life. The key is this. The key is indestructible joy. But here's the deal. You can't get that type of joy that will anchor your soul in the way that our world tells us we will find happiness or joy. It's actually rooted in a much deeper place. See, what our world does is it sells us circumstantial happiness, and if you want to know what I'm talking about, just watch, watch commercials on TV for like five minutes, right? Everything from a new car to arthritis medicine is the key to happiness in life. Have you ever noticed that like every, no matter what they're selling, some guys got like this, like the biggest, goofiest grin ever. In fact, I got some pictures from some, some different advertisements. So apparently Lay's potato chips is the key to happiness in life. Um, this is a, a cosmetic uh, dentistry company. So, if you want to be happy, have really nice teeth is what they're that's what they're selling us. And another Lay's potato chip, and my favorite Skittles. As apparently, that's 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 the happiness to uh, to the key to happiness in life is a bag of uh, a bag of Skittles, right? So, what what what's going what's going on there? They they are selling us joy. Right, But it's a, it's a fraudulent version of the real thing. Paul is gonna give us the key to the real thing this summer as we swim in this powerhouse of a little letter called Philippians. Now, a little background before we dive in. Philippi was a city that the Apostle Paul and his crew uh, walked into almost 2,000 years ago that, quite frankly, was probably a lot like the city of Asheville. It was a melting pot of cultures and religions because it sat along this influential trade route. It was, it was kind of like the gateway to Asia. You could think of it that way. So it would have been a cosmopolitan city, it would have been a very eclectic city, lots of cultures, lots of businesses, lots of people coming and going. Does that sound familiar to you? That sounds a lot like Asheville. And so Paul steps into his version of Asheville 2,000 years ago. And I want us to start this morning in the book of Acts, actually. So if you have a Bible, head for Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to start. We're going to end in Philippians 1. At this point in the Acts narrative, uh, the early church is spreading all over the known world at breakneck speed. Right? People are hearing about this Jesus guy. People are drawn to the message of hope and love. And so Paul, along with his guys, are going around to, from city to city sharing this great news of a risen Savior. Uh, his crew at this point would have included uh, Silas and Timothy at the very least, perhaps some other people. Um, and he's just going around sharing the good news of Jesus. And let's pick up there, Acts 16, beginning in verse 9. Of course, this is Dr. Luke, who is recording all of this for us, and he's writing in the book of Acts, beginning in verse 9. Luke says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we saw it to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Philippi was a leading city in the Roman province of Macedonia. Paul gets this vision from the Lord at night. There's this guy in Philippi, in Macedonia, saying, hey, come help us. Paul immediately heads for Philippi, and notice the wording there, concluding that God had called us to what? To preach the gospel to them. Now, why do we at New Life as a church, why do we go into our cities or our city here in Asheville? Why do we go to the nations at New Life? Is it just to do good? Is it just to perhaps alleviate poverty, to help the afflicted, the widow, the orphan, the trafficked woman or child? It is certainly to do all of those things, but never only those things. We carry with us the message of hope and life. That there is a Savior who reigns, who is good, who is just, who has promised to come back and right every wrong. A Savior who loves and proved it by shedding his blood to redeem people from slavery to self and sin. And we proclaim that this freedom rests in him and no other. And that is why we are involved in our city here in Asheville. That's why we will be rolling out in the coming months some partnerships globally, different places in the world that we will be going because we have the best news in the world. And God has commanded us to go and we are compelled in our spirit to go as Paul was all these years ago in Acts 16. Verse 11, so because of this, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace in the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And so Paul and his entourage, they, they land in this strange city called Philippi, verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, so what day of the week are we in? Saturday. You guys are a bunch of Bible scholars. So, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. They're looking for a, a synagogue. So, Paul's pattern on his missionary journeys is he would go into a new city. He would find a synagogue, a place where the Jews worshiped, and he would share the good news of Jesus. So, they're looking for this place um, in the city of uh, Philippi. So we suppose there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. So they essentially, it sounds to me like they kind of stumble upon a women's Bible study. Uh, Philippi apparently was such a pagan place that not only is there no church established yet, there's not even an established Jewish synagogue. Just a handful of ladies studying the Old Testament scriptures together. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. This tells us that this lady is probably ethnically um, Asian. Uh, And then Luke says she's a seller of purple goods. This tells us that she more than likely is a, a businesswoman, and scholars believe probably a very wealthy businesswoman at that. She's selling purple goods. This is what was used for um, very fashionable clothes in those days. And so we can sort of think of Lydia as kind of a fashionista, right? She probably has a house in Philippi, one in her hometown of Thyatira as well, in much the same way that a fashion mogul today might have a house in L.A., in New York, in Paris, Luke says she was a worshiper of God, meaning she had rejected the paganism of the day. She was worshiping the one true God of the Bible, the best that she knew how. And then Luke says the Lord opened her, that's Lydia's heart, to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And so Paul kind of comes into this Bible study and he begins to explain the gospel. And the Lord, in this process of her hearing the good news about Jesus, opens her heart and she believed. Now, church, why why do we pray for people in our lives that don't yet know Jesus? It's because clearly there's this this supernatural element where, where God has to open a person's heart so that they can see Jesus clearly and believe in him and place their faith in him. That's exactly what's happening here for Lydia. Now, she hears the good news about Jesus. The Lord opens her heart. She believes in Christ now notice what she does next, immediately, verse 15. And after she was baptized in her household as well. So they go back, they share the gospel with her husband, her kid. They all believe the good news about Jesus. And they're like, man, let's get this baptism on. Let's, let's go ahead and get everybody dunked. We're gonna follow Jesus. And Listen, that is, that is the pattern. That is the first step of obedience when we want to love and follow Jesus is to show that to the world by being baptized. That's why we steadily beat the drum of baptism here at New Life. So let me just take a moment and pause and say, listen, if that's something that you haven't done yet, maybe perhaps you're just now beginning to believe this good news about Jesus. You haven't been baptized yet, or perhaps You're like me, you believed some time ago, but you just, for whatever reason, you haven't yet been baptized for fear of something or just thinking, nah, maybe it's not all that important. Let me just encourage you, it is that important. It's a command of Jesus. This is the pattern we see in the New Testament. You believe, you're baptized. You believe, you're baptized. And so if you haven't done that yet, if the Spirit is prompting you, compelling you to do that, let me just encourage you, come and uh, let's talk about it. Let's have a little chat about it. Uh, If you don't have time, you can fill that out on your Connect card, and we'll contact you and and talk about what it means to follow Christ in baptism. It is that important. And then Luke says, she urged us. Lydia, after she's baptized, she urged Paul and his companions, saying, 'If, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Remember, she's probably wealthy, probably has a big house, lots of extra rooms. She's like, hey, boys, come come, stay with me. You guys can do ministry out of my house. This could be like a ministry hub for you guys. And Paul says, or Luke says, she prevailed upon us. So they stay in the city of Philippi with the first Christian ever in this city, a wealthy businesswoman from Asia named Lydia. Now, if you continue reading the Acts 16 narrative, it's kind of a funny story where this, um, basically this demon-possessed, uh, slave girl starts following Paul and his companions ar- companions around for several days, and she kind of walks behind them. And the whole time, she's she's screaming, "These guys know the way of salvation." And Paul's like, "I know. That's what I'm trying to tell them." And she just keeps screaming this for like day after day after day. And finally, after a few days, Luke. Luke I love the way Luke says it. He says, "Finally, Paul gets greatly annoyed." <laughs> and he cast the evil spirit out of the girl in the name of Jesus. Now, this would have been fantastic news for the young slave girl, but her owners became furious because they were making a fortune off of her uh, fortune telling because of this evil spirit that was inside of her. So they, they are angry. They drag Paul, Silas, one of his partners, to the city leaders. They are stripped of their clothes. They are beaten, merciless with a rod. Uh, They are thrown in prison. Luke also tells us that they fastened their legs to stocks, which basically scholars tell us probably means that their legs would have been uh, locked into the prison wall. Uh, This was on purpose. Their muscles would begin to cramp and they could do nothing about it. They couldn't lay down. They couldn't sit down. They couldn't sleep. Um, You couldn't move. This This is not like our prisons today. Right, where you get like a little soft cot to lay on, a little toilet right there for your convenience, maybe a TV, some books, some pictures of your family. This was intentional, and this was torture. Now, what's Paul's response to being beaten, bloodied, tortured in a nasty, damp prison for proclaiming Jesus? Go down to verse 25. We see his response there. About midnight, remember they can't sleep he's in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're praying, and they are singing at midnight, bloodied in this prison. Now, if we're being honest this morning, most of us, if we were in his shoes, we'd be freaking out, wouldn't we? We'd be complaining. We'd be accusing God of not caring for it. Like, God, I come to this city to proclaim this good news of your kingdom, and this is the reward that I get. What's up with this, God? Right? Most of us would be complaining, not Paul, not Silas. They're like, listen, God's got this. God's got us. We are here for a purpose. We are in this prison for a reason. Let's just kick off a worship service right up in the middle of this prison at midnight beaten and bloodied, chained to a wall. And right after this, Luke tells us that there's this massive earthquake that just shatters the prison. All the doors uh, pop open. The prisoners are free. The jailer there, who would have been an ex-military guy, likely a violent guy, a torturer, probably a little sadistic, immediately realizes the severity of the situation that he finds himself in because he knew that the penalty under Roman law for losing prisoners was Execution. He doesn't want to wait around for that because it could be brutal and painful. And so he pulls out his sword. He's getting ready to take his own life. Paul in the dark sees this going down. And Paul's like, listen, listen stop, brother. Do not kill yourself. We are all still here. And this military leader is so struck by Paul's mercy that he trembling falls to his knees in front of Paul and says, how can I be saved? In other words, Paul, like whatever you have, Whatever God you follow that gives you this kind of selfless courage, like, I need this God. And Paul shares the gospel of Jesus with him. This jailer, this violent man believes. He takes Paul to his home in the middle of the night and cleans out his wounds, cooks a meal for him. Paul shares the gospel with his entire family. They all believe it's probably like 2 o'clock in the morning. Paul is sharing the gospel with everybody. They all believe his whole family, and they're all baptized. Like 2.30 in the morning, he's, he's having a baptism service in this guy's home, right? Again, that, that is the pattern that we see over and over in Scripture. Believe, be baptized. Believe, be baptized. Now, this was an incredible core group. This was essentially the launch team of the church in Philippi, a rich church business lady from Asia, a poor slave girl, and a violent tough guy from a pagan background. This is like the most unlikely group of people to launch a church ever, right? Like if you're going to put together a a, a launch team, you're like, man, we need somebody that's going to be really great. We need somebody that's got business acumen. We need somebody that's got this, this, and this. So they're going to be really successful. This is like the last group you'd put together, And this is who the Lord puts together to launch this movement in the city of Philippi. Two things I want you to see from that account in Acts before we dive into the letter itself in Philippians. Truth number one, Jesus takes enemies and makes them family. Jesus takes an enemy and makes them family. How else can you explain Paul? Paul, a Jew. Jews, who by the way, literally in those days had a prayer that they would pray every morning and the prayer went like this God thank you for not making me a woman a slave or a gentile That was their prayer can you believe that God thank you for not making me a woman a slave or a gentile How else would you explain a racist Jew becoming family with an Asian woman of wealth a slave girl and a pagan violent soldier Like there there's no context no other context in this entire world where people who typically would hate one another or people who typically would have nothing to do with one another begin to love each other like family listen to me only jesus does that i love the diversity that exists in, in our church we have people from every socioeconomic background we have people from many ethnicities multiple countries Tons of different spiritual backgrounds. So any spiritual background you can think of, you could probably find somebody here at New Life that came from that spiritual background. And listen to me, this is what I love. This is why I think what what's God is doing right here at New Life right now is so, so beautiful. We gather together every single week with nothing, listen, nothing uniting us except the one thing that matters most, and that's King Jesus, whom we worship. And that is beautiful. And that's how this unlikely church in Philippi began. The world cannot explain it. Only Jesus can take enemies and make them family. Second truth I want to highlight for you here, number two is, listen, believer, live for what's worth dying for. Live for what's worth dying for. Notice the Apostle Paul here. He doesn't run in the fire, does he? Why? Why? because he has something that's more valuable even than his own life. He had a mission. He had something that was worth living for and anything that is truly worth living for is also worth dying for. Now, Paul had a a chance to escape prison, right? The earthquake hits, the, the, the jail thing springs open. He has a chance to walk out, to escape his torture, all of that, and yet he stays in the fire and he shares Jesus with the guy who is torturing him. And then he goes to his house and shares Jesus with his whole family and then he dunks all of them. I want to be like the Apostle Paul when I grow up. And I I want that type of Jesus courage just flowing through my veins in the fires and the trials of life. No fear, complete focus on his task, complete focus on the Savior. And this is why later in in the letter, we'll get to it, Paul will famously say, for me to live is Christ And to die is gain. It's even better because I get to be with Christ. See, Paul found the secret to life. He found something worth living for and it freed him to live life with this just kind of fearless, ferocious boldness that the world around him found to be very winsome. All right, that was kind of the, the appetizer. Let's get into the main course here. That is the letter to the Philippians. We'll only get a few uh, verses uh, deep this morning. But remember, Paul is writing to this unlikely kind of ragtag group of new believers who Paul had come to love like a, like a family. So go over to Philippians chapter one. That's where we'll spend the rest of our time together this morning. Philippians 1.1, this is the apostle Paul uh, writing. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, Let's pause there. Some translations say uh, slaves, slave of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't want us just to skip over the initial greeting there because Paul is actually communi- communicating something critically important here. He's saying, listen, we, we belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. We, we, are, we are all in with Jesus. Like we, we burnt the bridge so we couldn't go back we kicked down the fence so we couldn't sit on it anymore. Like, like there's there's no turning back. Our allegiance is now to Jesus above everything else. Now th- this is really important and, and I want to say this uh, clearly especially uh, to you in the room who are Christians uh, this morning, before anything else, your identity is in Jesus. He is your identity. So so hear me say this, before you are a Republican, before you are a Democrat or a Libertarian, you are a follower of Jesus. Before you're Irish American, before you're African American, before you're Latino, before you're Asian, you are a follower of Jesus. We are Jesus people above anything else that we might be. I see far too many people who claim the name of Jesus who have like a thousand things that they root their identity in more than Jesus Christ. And friend, listen to me, that is an assault on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a slap in the face to the sacrifice, to the blood that he poured out to secure your freedom. We are the people of Jesus first and foremost Forever. So much so that anything else we find our identity in should almost be a footnote in our lives. Not an unimportant footnote, but everything flows from our identity as followers of Christ. So Paul says we belong to Jesus. We are his servants. We are his slaves. That's truth number one this morning. Believer, our identity is Jesus. You may be here, you may be white, you may be black, you may be Hispanic, you may be Asian, you may be a Duke fan, you may be a Carolina fan, you might be a Republican or a Democrat, but listen to me, you are all of those things way after you are a follower of Jesus. Don't get it twisted or confused. And listen, if any of those things, any of those other identities is ever in conflict with our allegiance to Jesus, we crush those things in light of the grace and freedom that we have found in Jesus. We are joyfully his servants, his slaves even. He is our life. He is our hope. He is our identity. And Paul continues on. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Now now picture this. Paul is writing this letter to people that he knows, people that he did life with, people who he was in the trenches of life with. He loves these people deeply. Now, a pastor or an elder of the church would have received this letter from Paul. It would have been read publicly, likely in their worship gathering. So just like we're doing now, they would have read the same words in the same setting, which is mind-blowing to think about. So we can almost picture uh, Lydia the first Christian convert in this pagan city, perhaps hearing these words from the great apostle Paul and kind of smiling as she thinks back to her first encounter with Paul and the joy that she would have felt the first time that she heard about Jesus and his love for her. We can maybe picture the slave girl, right? This is years later, so perhaps she's, maybe she's grown up now. Is she married now? Maybe she's got a couple of kids scurrying around her ankles as she hears these words from the great apostle. We think of the hardened soldier who was on the verge of committing suicide before he heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Perhaps he's there. Maybe he's a grandfather now. And probably many other people whom they've led to Christ over the years. And Paul opens by greeting all of the saints Greetings to all of the saints that are at Philippi. Now, is Paul just talking about the really holy people in this church? Like the Mother Teresas and the Billy Grahams that are a part of this church? Absolutely not. In fact, this idea that's kind of developed in our culture of a saint being kind of like a a special class of Christian that we somehow like hold up, or we somehow venerate above other Christians. That is an invention of the Roman Catholic Church, and I would argue to you this morning that that is wholly unbiblical. If you are in Jesus this morning, your trust is in him, you love him, I want you to hear me say this, you are a saint. You are a saint. As one pastor put it, and I love this, he said there are two types of people in this world, the saints and the ain'ts. Right, saints and the ain'ts. If you love Jesus, you are a saint. Not because of your moral performance, but because of Jesus' performance on your behalf. He has made you a saint by cleansing you with his own blood so that you could become a child of God, so that you could stand blameless one day before the Father. You are a saint. Church, we, we have to get our identity right There there are too many of us as Christians, and I've fallen into this trap a lot myself. There are too many of us that just kind of mope around life like, man, I'm just a no good, I'm just a dirty down scum of the earth, sinner, and if God lets me in, it's just going to be because he has to because of the blood of Jesus, and I'm barely going to squeak in. Listen to me. The scriptures say this, believer you are a saint, you are chosen. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are more than a conqueror in Jesus. We are saints. I am a saint. I want us to say that together. I am a saint. On the count of three. One, two, three. I am a saint. Yes, you are, but it's not of your works. It's because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And then Paul greets the overseers, which is another term for elders and the deacons. And so he addresses those who lead and serve the church. And we have elders and deacons here at New Life because that's the way that the New Testament church ought to be structured. Verse number two. Grace to you, Paul says, talking to the saints, all the believers, grace to you. Love that. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what is grace? Grace is an undeserved blessing. Paul is reminding them, he's reminding us of what Jesus has done for us. Grace to you. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You haven't earned it, but he has made you a saint. He has made you a son. He has made you a daughter. This is grace. And then he says, peace. Now, peace in this context is not the absence of violence. It's not even the absence of war. It's this idea of shalom. It's this idea of whole peace. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. This will be on the screens for you. He expands on this thought. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. This is a theme of joy that we're going to see again and again in Paul's writings, especially in the book of Philippians we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have grace from God. we have peace in God because of Christ. Paul is saying, "Believer, rejoice. Rejoice. Get, get happy. Get excited. Grace and peace belongs to you because of Jesus." Now this is some kind of greeting, isn't it? Like we tend to greet each other with emails, text messages like, "Hey, what's up, bro? Paul writes an entire theology book in a two-sentence greeting. It's almost as if he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God or something like that. Right? Crazy, crazy stuff. And Paul moves into a prayer of gratitude and love for these people in verse 3. I thank my God, I thank my God, in all my remembrance of you, always, In every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Again, this is the theme we're going to see throughout the book with joy. We need joy in life and we find it in Christ. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, do you hear the affection the apostle has for these people? Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. He's saying, I love you guys. Man, I love you guys. I miss you guys. You guys are my, you're my partner in the gospel ministry. Thank you for, for being my family. Thank you for supporting this ministry. We are in this together. We are one family with one mission. Church, don't, 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 don't miss this. Paul is saying here to these believers in Philippi and to us here at New Life this morning, we are a team we see this theme throughout the pages of the New Testament that every believer is given a spiritual gift, and it's as all of us begin to use our, our giftings in our everyday life, right where we live, work, and play, that the gospel advances, and Jesus is made famous. If I'm being truthful with you this morning, here's, here's what concerns me about the model that I see perpetuated in the modern-day American church. Here's what what, what concerns me. What I, what I see is a model that far too often perpetuates a show on Sunday morning where the saints gather as spectators to watch a few people on a stage exercise their spiritual gifts. And if we're not careful with that model, if we're not... Watchful about the way we structure ourselves. What can happen is that the church of Jesus Christ can become a body of spectators instead of active players in the mission of God. And look, guys, if we listen, if we are ever going to be what God wants us to be here at New Life, if we are ever going to accomplish what half of what God wants us to accomplish, it is never going to be because we have an awesome band on Sunday morning. And we do have an awesome band. It's never gonna be because I kill it with a sermon every Sunday, because I certainly don't do that. It's not gonna be because we have the greatest youth program, our kids program, or the greatest coffee in the lobby. We will only impact our family, neighbors, and nations when we lock arms and we see each other as equal partners in the mission to advance the kingdom of Jesus together. All of us. All of us together using our unique giftings from the Holy Spirit and passions in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods. And so here's truth number two. You've probably heard this before, but I think it applies here to what Paul is saying. Number two, teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. Listen, we need you. We need you. Right now, if you're a spectator at New Life, I just want to I want to invite you in. I want to invite you to join the team here. Let's, let's get to work together. Let's get you plugged into the mission. Let's let's advance the kingdom of Jesus together. One team, one family, one mission. And then verse six. The Apostle Paul says this, and listen, listen, this, this is good news, by the way. So if you're like dozing off, wake, wake up, all right? This is, this, is, this is really good news. This should get you excited if you love Jesus. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Somebody better say Amen. All right, listen, have you ever been discouraged in your faith walk? Like, man, when, when am I going to get it? Like, why, do I, why do I drift so often? Why do I fail so much? Why do I step in sin constantly? Like, am I the only one that has ever had seasons of my faith journey like that? Listen, maybe you're there today, maybe you're in one of those seasons today. In in either case, I I want you to hear me say this, Christian, your salvation is not on you. You did not earn it, Jesus earned it. You did not secure it, Jesus secured it. You cannot carry it till the end, Jesus promises to carry you to the end. So guess what, rest in Jesus. Enjoy him, walk with him, love him, obey him. He will finish in you what he started in you. And that's the last truth this morning. Number three, Jesus always finishes what he starts. Always, every single time. He is incapable of failure. Jesus cannot fail. If you are in Jesus this morning, he will carry you to the end. If you are in Christ this morning, your salvation is eternally secure. I want you to hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 10. This will be on the screens for you. Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. He will never abandon you. It is not on us, He's got us. Isn't that comforting this morning? That He promises that He will. Finish in us what he began in us. We are secure in Jesus Christ. And that's great news this morning, isn't it? I wanna invite you to just bow your heads with me for a moment as we uh, wrap things up. The band's gonna go ahead and come. I wanna talk just, just for a moment to those of you who might be in the room who are not yet followers of Jesus. To the person here who maybe's on the fence, Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you came because your parents made you come or your grandparents drug you here or you're here just to honor your dad on Father's Day or whatever it is. The person here who's maybe trying to get to God by earning their way there, by trying to do good stuff, by trying to be a good person. Let me just tell you, with as much love and gentleness that I can muster this morning, you can't. You can't, like you can't ever get there. You can't ever be good enough. You can't ever do enough to get to God. Listen, if that's you, you are on a treadmill of works. And I know because I've been on that treadmill. And here, here's what's gonna happen for you. The faster you run, the more exhausted you're gonna get and you will be no closer to God than the moment you've begun. That is why the gospel, the good news of Jesus is such gloriously good news that when you could not get to him, when you could not work your way to God, Jesus came for you and he made a way for you with his life, his death, his resurrection. And so my question for you, if that's you, is will you trust him today? like Lydia did all those years ago, like that little slave girl who was freed from the evil spirit, like that violent Roman soldier, will you place your trust in the one who made you, loves you, gave himself for you? I love what Charles Spurgeon said so many years ago as he pled with his people, with his congregation, and I plead the same thing with you this morning. Spurgeon said, listen, Get to know Christ, get to Christ somehow. Get to Jesus somehow, anyhow. For if you get to him, you shall live. It is not the greatness nor the perfection of your faith, it is his greatness and his perfection which is to be depended on. Friend, depend on Jesus. Stake your life on him. He is life. He is hope. He is everything that you need. He is the one that can make your soul sing at midnight, battered and bloodied in a jail cell. He is that good. He is that worthy. Let's pray as the ushers come, and then we're going to celebrate Jesus by coming to the tables. He is worthy. Father, we all need an anchor in this crazy thing called life. We all need something that will give us joy in a way that transcends our circumstances, God, because there are good seasons, there are bad seasons, there are seasons of joy, there are seasons of pain, there are good times, there are difficult times, God. And we need an anchor for our souls lest we drift through life. Father, thank you for your word to us in the book of Philippians. Thank you for giving us the key that unlocks indestructible joy in our hearts. God, for those of us this morning who are here, who already believe, already follow Jesus, God, teach us to cling to the truth that you are the finisher of everything that you start, that our salvation is secure in Jesus that the bloody cross and the empty tomb defines us in your eyes, not our failures, not our moral performance, God. That ought to give us joy. That ought to liberate us to live in freedom and to love you and love others in our life every single day. And God, for the person here who doesn't yet have a personal relationship with their creator through Jesus, God, would you open their hearts Today, right now, this morning, in this moment, God, would you begin to open their hearts? Would you help them to see clearly? Just like you allowed Lydia, you begin to open her heart 2,000 years ago. God, help anybody here who doesn't yet know you begin to peel back the layers of confusion so that they could see you and all of your beauty and all of your strength this morning, God. Help them see Jesus, help them believe and cling to you, God. And in him find the joy that will anchor their souls in this life through eternity. It's in that glorious name that we ask and we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus.